All right, welcome back to Sharp Iron Society. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by Everproven CrossFit. Our friends at Everproven CrossFit, because why do CrossFit? Because you should, okay? Had enough of this. No more bro stuff. No, you can do bro stuff, plenty. But uh, where to find us? EVR. <laughs> com. Um, or you could drop in, uh, 50 Crosby Road in Dover, New Hampshire. Um, it's a big red building. Can't freaking miss it. Okay. You cannot miss it. Um, and, uh, if you want to contact us at 603-740-0822 or contact stone at EVRPIVN, VR, blah, 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 mush mouth, <laughs> stone at EVRPRVN.com. It's also brought to you by Port City BJJ, located at 8 Greenleaf Woods Drive in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, inside the Seaco Sports Club. It's open seven days a week, uh, classes for all ages and skill levels, and uh, not only do you get to do jiu-jitsu, but if you sign up, you can use the rest of the Seaco Sports Club. So uh, come check us out, um, portcitybjj.com, or shoot us an email at portcity at gmail.com portcitybjj at gmail.com and uh, we can give you all the info that you need there and also by Recoil Athletics check out recoilathletics.com for some sweet programming for strength and conditioning and buy a t-shirt or hat if you're there yeah they got swag now sure do check it out and here's the podcast What's up, boss? Let's do this. I'm learning the landscape. All right. Just jazz hands all day. Rolling. Oh. Ooh. Are these mine here? <clears throat> I do not have my headphones. Oh, this is so nice. Fucking prematurely rolled. No, no, no. Put, uh, give them to him. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Take, take my headphones. Technical <laughs> difficulty. This is like a real recording thing. This is great. I have some friends that take Ridlin and they say it go it's like from going from watching a million TVs playing different things to one big TV playing one thing. <laughs> I was like, that's my fucking mind blowing. Well, my uh my sister went to uh she went to school for psychology and she basically had like this great uh analogy that like thinking without Ritalin is like trying to think through cotton balls. And then you take the Ritalin or the medication, and it's all of a sudden the cotton balls just disappear. And you can think clearly. And that's the way I feel. I feel, I mean, that's why I'm addicted to, ca- to, to caffeine. It's like, <laughs> I, need, I need to get square. <laughs> all right, welcome back to Shark Martin Society. Thank you for joining our conversation. Today, we have one and only Eugene Kim. Up from Florida. <laughs> All right. I'm going to just jump right into this. Uh, so uh, I've been excited to have Eugene on because uh, he's one one person that, like, uh, I've never told him this, but I admire him for his uh, – he's one of the bravest people I know because he's always 
looking for answers and he's not afraid to step outside the box on so many different things. And it's awesome. I mean, it's really, really awesome. I mean, like that doesn't, I mean, um, I don't have to agree with everything that he's doing, but I love the fact that like, he's always like, always just testing, uh, these boundaries and, and, and like, I mean, doing flight, uh, the barbell, uh, barbell shrug flight, um, Mosquito. ADD. <laughs> There's a mosquito fl- flying in my face. Um, but uh, so many things. I mean, like testing, like I, I think you go through like the bulletproof executive mm-hmm. stuff and, and, and this and that. And now you're in med school, which mm-hmm. is incredible. Also a former Marine. Um, long, long list of stuff that you've done. A lot of squirrely shit. A lot of squirrely shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also has a podcast mm-hmm. called On Death and is writing a book. Or wrote a book. Wrote a book. Wrote a book. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, on the education of... A physician. A physician. There you go. <laughs> Jesus. I told you, man. H, man. G. I'm worried about you. I told you. Can I you tried. find your way home? Are you going to be able to do that? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's like finding Dory. You just follow the shells all the way home. Pretty much. Pretty much. I like, <laughs> I can re- like, like I can remember things that happen in movies, the name of movie stars, their character names, all that shit. Like I'm like a walking IMDB and, uh, I can't remember certain things like people's names that I met two seconds ago, names of books that I just heard. <laughs> Two minutes ago. <laughs> so I, I might have a little Swiss cheese in my brain. Might have something to do with a, a lifetime of concussions. Um, so there, there, there might be some, some jello in there, some interesting stuff. They might dissect my brain one day when, For science. <laughs> when I go crazy. Maybe Eugene could do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. But welcome. welcome. Thank you. It's welcome back up. Um, originally, actually, I wanted to, uh, when we... When you were coming back up, I knew you were going to come back up and visit. Um, I wanted to like go to a float lab with you. Mm, um, yeah, man. There's the the last so like when I was back here in uh, New Hampshire like a year ago, the only one that I knew of was in Portland, um, and that's yeah. like an hour away, and it's great. Yeah, I think they're they're popping up everywhere. They're just spreading out like weeds, and they're if you've never done one, it's a very interesting experience, especially if you've like ADD, like if you're very like kind of like scatterbrained. It's such a weird thing. Because when most people sit and like try to focus, there, there's already so much stimuli. There's gravity itself. There's like your posture. It's like, oh, I'm doing weird shit with my shoulders. I'm like, oh, my back is all rounded. Or you can just be like, oh, bird, like all that kind of stuff. But when you're in a float tank, it's everything gets brought down to zero. And it's, it's just wild. I highly recommend it. I have always wanted to try one ever since I watched Altered States. Uh, I've heard of. I keep everybody. You never seen. Oh never seen man. It. No. Well, I mean, th- th- this is a movie that was like. I think it was like 1981, um, and and it was like probably towards the decline of um, of uh, of float tanks. I mean, because they were really popular in the 60s and 70s, yeah, right? Or there, more so the 60s, right? Yeah. There was this dude, Lily. Um, John Lily. Yeah, John Lily did some really weird shit. Took ketamine and <laughs> set it next to a dolphin tank and tried to. <laughs> 
figure out dolphin speech and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, crazy shit. <laughs> Real wacky shit. And uh, yeah, he like he popularized one, and but it was like that, like those super metal encased ones, and like people would every once in a while get electrocuted because the wiring was really shitty. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so like that, it kind of like went out of favor because of like altered states. It was like oh, real weird, and now people are bringing it back with like. Um, they're using instead of like having any actual wiring in the tank, they'll have like pneumatic buttons that will then uh, like you'll press a button and then it'll pneumatically activate a switch outside the tank and then that'll turn on a light. So like you, there's no like electrical wiring within the tank. There's no EMF. Oh, okay. It's really interesting. They're getting like really weird in it. But they're becoming more popular, which is amazing. Yes. And there's a lot of people and and like like I. People like yourself that are looking for for answers, mm-hmm. which is so cool. Yeah, and it's it's just like in, in it's very similar in terms of like uh, psychedelic substances in that you can use it for uh, addressing anxieties or or like PTSD, or you can do it on the physical level where you're addressing like uh, physical recovery after athletic uh, performance, or you can just do it like just to relax at a meditative state. It's like re- like really crazy all the way like ways you can use it. It's just like what do you want to use it for? Yeah, how much? How much do uh, does like one session? How long does one session consist of, and how much is it usually? I rec- so for 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 people's first floats, I recommend an hour, just because it'll it, you'll be like fucking around. You'll be like, oh my god! Like when you'll get in there, there are all these like practical aspects of floating that you might not think of. Like how do you how where where are my ears supposed to be? Like in relation to the water, because because like you have the text neck going on, your neck is so normally in a flex state that it doesn't. You like I remember the first time I floated, I kept being like, "Oh, I can keep." Oh, am I supposed to be a little closer? <laughs> you know, you're you. I was like, kept pulling my head back and noticing like, "Oh, this is neutral spine." No, this is neutral, and like just or like when you're floating, like you kind of like slowly go to one side or the other, and just being able to like balance yourself so you don't like hit your head on the top, and like slowly like this is just like a gentle like. Oh fuck! I hit the side, and then you bring yourself back, and you're like, "Oh shit! I hit the other side." And just like those, like simple technical aspects, or like, how do you, how do you like not get Epsom salts in your eyes? Like those kinds of things. So like for the first hour, just get that over with, and then from there, once you get the technical aspects of like how do you get out of the tank without getting all that shit in your face, um, then you float like hour, ninety minutes, two hours. I've the longest float I've done was a five hour float. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Things get really weird after five hours. Man. I don't feel like I have five hours to devote to sitting in a fucking Epsom salts tank by myself. Mm-hmm. It's like a really long time. It is. It- I feel like if after five hours, I'd be like the most relaxed person because it would take me three hours <laughs> to become relaxed. Like, like if I ever take a day off, if I take more than a day off, like usually, like I have plenty of days off through my work and. I rarely really take like an extended period of time off. So I'll I'll do like an extra day here and there. But if the last time I took multiple days off, like five days, it took me three days to stop staring at the wall and wondering (laughs) what the fuck I was going to (laughs) do. And then the last two days I was like, okay, now I'm going to be productive and kind of like, like I'm okay with going and doing stuff. Mm -hmm. But like the first three days was just like staring at the wall. It was like, I got shit to do. Wait, what do I start first? Oh my God. (laughs) It's like, ah, I'm just going to go listen to barbells. (laughs) Um, But that, I mean, that's, that's so, 
Is it like a? Is it like deep water, or is it just like, enough that you can? Yeah, it's just enough that like you float. So it's like um, eighteen to twenty-four inches, and I. So I have a personal float tent in my apartment because like now there, there are te- there are tanks and there are tents, and a, a tent is like a steel structure, and it's like a bunch of canvas. So you don't need like the rigid like tank like big thing, and so it's like collapsible. You can transport it, but you got to take out all, all the salts. And I put eight hundred pounds of Epsom salts in the the water. Where the fuck do you get eight hundred pounds of Epsom salts <laughs> off the internet? <laughs> so this is different from bath salts, right? A little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Same website, different uh, different application. <laughs> Same website. Um, uh, no, that, I mean that, that eight hundred pounds. Yeah, man, it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing, and I was just Jesus. like, it was, it was like, it was, you know, when you see videos of people like mashing grapes with their feet, mm-hmm. it was like that with it was stirring the Epsom salts around for like a whole day. It was like how, a whole. How does the tent block out sound? Oh, so the whole thing is covered up top. It's like a big, like, um, like, um, like a, I don't know how to describe it verbally for people that are listening, but it's like a just a little thing, and then they've covered up on top, and then I have it in a room, and I have also blacked out the room so that they're, they're it's not like perfectly light proof like some of the tanks are uh, because it's like a like kind of floppy structure. So I'll I like blacked out the room that the the tank is in. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a like a like a pop up tent. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay. Yeah, all this weird <laughs> shit. I'm into some real weird squirrely shit. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, oh okay. yeah, yeah. That's ex- that's actually it. That's the Zen float tent. How much? How much does something like that cost? That was a uh, two grand. Two grand. That wow. was I. I. I allocated some of my loan money to that because I was like, this will be better for me. Research. Exactly. Research. <laughs> <laughs> now, is there any inducement into this? There can be. I mean, I know. Uh, like Joe Rogan loves edibles. He, he always recommends edibles. Take a big, strong psychedelic dose of edible and go in there, and it will rack you up. And yeah, I mean, like, edibles as in like mushrooms. Oh uh, no, uh, cannabis. Cannabis. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. Like there, I remember listening to a podcast where he was talking about uh, like MDMA and, and taking that kind of stuff. Um, it's just it all it all kind of very it interests me greatly, especially the aspect of like the P, the the treatment of PTSD and also people with uh, with I guess you could say brain dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that had like um, uh, what's the technical word for um, basically concussion um, brain stuff brain stuff <laughs> <laughs> traumatic <laughs> brain injury yeah. <laughs> TBI. TBI. That's what I'm looking for. A TBI, because it's, it's there's there's so much. I mean, concussion is like one. I don't know. Um, I don't get sciencey. Yeah, because <laughs> that's it's that memory thing again. <laughs> terrible, terrible memory on my part. Um, but I don't. Know. It, the the float tank definitely fascinates me. I'm gonna uh, check that out because I want to try mm-hmm. that. Like I said, ever since altered states. Although I don't, I don't expect myself to actually turn into a Neanderthal, so that's, yeah. There was like some serious drug experimentation with the in altered states where he regresses to a Neanderthal state. Well, that was like John Willie's whole thing. I think he fucking. <clears throat> there was like some story about how he did it with someone, and the guy like was 
like having a freak out. So he shot himself with ketamine and went into the guy's head. Like <laughs> like this whole like story about like how he had to go rescue this guy from a ketamine induced coma or some shit like that. Wake up John Lilly, some fucking crazy Real shit. Weird dude. Yeah. I see I, I don't understand ketamine. It's like I, I hear people taking it as, as a recreational thing and and like it's like it puts you non it makes you non functional. Well, it's it's a really interesting thing, much a lot like um, LSD, in that there are it's like the dose changes a lot of what you experience, and a lot. I mean, ketamine. A lot of people associate it like currently as like a date rape drug because if you give somebody a lot of it, they pass the fuck out, and you can do some weird shit to them. But if you take a smaller amount, there's it's it's like a it's used anesthetically um, in, for like vets or for oddly enough children, uh, like pediatric indication of uh, ketamine. For like, because it dissociates you, and you aren't, you don't necessarily like, are you aren't like a part of your body anymore, and that is part of the recreational aspect of ketamine is that you, you just you, gravity gets really weird and things change, and it changes on like the amount of that you take. So like with LSD, there's uh, have you ever heard of microdosing it? No. It's when you take a sub-psychedelic dose of, of LSD. Uh, so if you take like a full tab to get real weird and see shit, you would take like a 16th or a 20th of a tab, and you would just kind of ride that out all day. And it's sort of like uh, people have been using it. Uh, it's b- recently become more popular in the news because like a lot of Silicon Valley types are taking LSD in, or as, as a microdose instead of taking ADD medications. And it helps them focus. It helps them stay a little bit more like on point. It's very interesting stuff. Uh, uh, this like uh, psychiatric monitored or psychiatrist monitored ketamine therapy now for anxiety. Like mm-hmm. where they like they like you got to block off a week and all you're doing <laughs> is ketamine all week and there's a psychiatrist there and they like talk you through shit and whatever because you yeah you disassociate and like supposedly it does huge things for people with anxiety and like depression and shit like that. Mm-hmm. It's one. Of, it's a very well researched psychedelic. Um, it's got a really good safety profile and it's, it's so like, there's a lot of, uh, psychedelic research going on around psilocybin or, or magic mushrooms and MDMA or ecstasy. Um, but ketamine is really weird in that it's like psychiatrists can prescribe it right now. Right. And I, I met a dude, um, at a, a music festival at, for psychedelic harm reduction. And he was, is actively practicing uh, ketamine. Uh, like as he's like, he, he described it as like a ketamine clinic right. and he'd have people come in with anxiety, with PTSD and just, they would trip their balls off for a little bit and then they'd talk about it and then integrate it and then come back the next day, integrate some more. If they want, they can do another session like that. Okay. So, I mean, like uh, for in layman's terms, it's kind of like they're using it a little bit as a reset. Yes, exactly. And that, like, just like shake shit loose. Yeah. And then see what pops out and then talk about it, integrate it, uh, be able to put it put into a context. Uh, rather, because when a lot of, a lot of like emotional traumas, people just kind of like pack that shit down and then they don't address it. And then it kind of like bursts out on its own whenever it wants. Yeah. And uh, with these psychedelics, you can, with not like recreationally, not like totally like, hey, Steve, let's go out to the barn and do a lot of ketamine. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> It's like let's let's sit down with us like with somebody who's trained and and can and knows what's going to be happening and talk it out through the whole experience and then afterwards let's talk about what happened what did you see and then what you saw how can you take that into your everyday life and move forward with it and change not not just like have a really weird day but also change your whole life as a result of this experience interesting 
Very interesting. And it was like, it was originally supposed to be like a horse tranquilizer, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how most people get it now. They'll get it from vet clinics and they'll get like a vial of it and then they'll like throw it on a, a mirror and then just dry it out and then the crystals will form. And that's what, that's so like most people get it like veterinary grade ketamine and then they'll, they'll like dry it out and then they'll insulfate it or snort it. Fucking beyond me. Some crazy shit. Yeah, that is some crazy shit. Yeah. And so this is a this is a field of interest for me because I am really interested in psychedelic psychiatry as like my future practice. It's not something that really exists now, but um, if you look at a lot of indigenous cultures, um, there is some sort of um, ceremonial or, or shamanistic practice where mm -hmm. people will get into an altered state, whether it's through substances such as psilocybin or magic mushrooms, or whether it's through like a sweat lodge where you're just sweating for like 12 hours with your bros and you start seeing really weird shit because you've just been in the same room and you're just sweating and things are getting really weird. Like those kinds of experiences change your, change your perspective and just provide that reset. And I would love with my future medical practice to do something of that sort, but it doesn't really exist now. Uh, but the research is being done, like the like the phase two, phase three studies for MDMA are, are like getting pushed through. And it, by the time I finish my residency, there's a chance that I'll be able to practice this kinds of stuff. Oh. And this is this is in America. This is yeah, I, not like I think Sweden. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's clinics in like Mexico, right? Oh yeah. Okay, because I mean, there's no real. Um, yeah, because I remember it was. I think it was the Aubrey Marcus uh, with Joe Rogan. They talked heavily about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Very fascinating stuff. Um, <sighs> now, now we got some crazy stuff out of the way. Well, I so what? And I know you're in medical school. But what is your primary focus? Like, what, what are you? Practice, like what are you going to school for in the medical field? So medical school is um, a lot is a professional trade program. So you're going in and you're learning like the basics of the medicine medical practice, so that you can then go after your four years of medical school into a residency program, and that's where you further specialize. So maybe you then go in, after four years of medical school, then you go into a surgical uh, surgical residency for like the next six years, and then after those six years, then you take your boards, and then you're like a fully fledged like surgeon. Um, but for now, during these first four years of medical school, uh, the first year is sort of like learning how things work. The second year is learning how things go wrong. And then the third and fourth years is when you go into a hospital setting and you actually like practice and fuck up on real human beings in like, in like, <laughs> yeah, in like a real setting. And like, oh, God, these are some real decisions that I have to make. And I'm about to enter my second year. That's awesome. So do you not know what... Yeah, we sure. don't we don't know because uh, so you, like first two years are all like pretty much classroom entirely, and right. then third and fourth years that's where we go through different rotations. We'll go through psychiatry, we'll go through uh, pediatrics, we'll go through emergency medicine, and that those gives you like big broad tastes of like so you like okay I really don't like surgery, so gonna cross that off the list, and then your next rotation might be psychiatry, and you're like I really don't like crazy people, and then right, you're right. like oh I really like children, and then you go into that, and that's then right. and then your fourth year you can further specialize and taste try out more flavors of that of that like vanilla that you like right right makes sense so yeah. like where you where you're going to school does that mean like your your um residency would be at the tampa 
because uh, Tampa is an educational hospital, right? Yes. So uh, the program that I'm in is a little weird in that we are sp- I spend the first two years in Tampa, and then I move up to Allentown, Pennsylvania for third and fourth years because the Lehigh Valley Health Network, which is like the hospital network that I'll be doing my clinical rotations at, they don't have an associated teaching, like a teaching, like a, a university. So they are just accepting people at for the third and fourth years, which is relatively novel, but they really want, it's like a really good health network and they just want students coming in. So they're okay. like, oh, do this. Interesting, because mm-hmm. I believe those are the, those are the two teaching hospitals that um, uh, SF members go to. Oh, um, I I believe so. I could be completely wrong. I know I know Tampa is one of them, and I I want to say that 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 uh, Allentown was another one. Oh. I, I kind of my Swiss cheese memory uh, doesn't allow me to bring this stuff up on on the ready, but um, I. I I've just recently read a book called, um, uh, of course, of course I don't Another remember. Book. <laughs> Another book. <laughs> 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 but, um, so it was a, a, a book called Chosen Sol- Soldier by, uh, Dick Couch, mm. uh, which is a great book because it's insight into, uh, uh, special forces and, and what they go through. And, and one of them is like the, the, um, the, uh, I think it's 18 Delta, is the doctor on special forces teams. They ha- like, I didn't know this stuff. They have to like, they, they have to go and, and be a resident resident at a hospital for a year after they've gone through like all their special forces training and going all this stuff. So it was, and it's fascinating that like, it's, mm. it's the same hospitals that, that, that you're going to as well. Mm. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, side of me. Yeah. I know Tampa has a very strong and one of the best VA programs in the nation. And so that wouldn't, that makes a lot of sense though. Yeah. Uh, the 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 whole like uh, military and 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 veteran uh, and and like rehabbing and all uh, coming back into society, especially with like the PTS, um, and that whole like area just definitely interests me. I was telling uh, uh, my buddy the other day about how it was like they're experimenting with like they're experimenting with like psychedelics to help PTS, and he's like, are are you, are you kidding me? Like really? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, they are, and and they've actually uh, they have a lot of cases where like it's been extremely helpful mm-hmm. for guys that are just like completely like they they saw some really really bad stuff. It's a crazy thing because like right now the only things that we have for PTSD treat the symptoms, and it kind of barely does that. And this is like psychedelics therapy is like one of those things where you can like really cure PTSD, which is a crazy thing. But if you look at uh, like native, have you read a uh, tribe by Sebastian Junger? Or heard of it? I'm I'm it's I'm really I'm fucking getting good. into it. I actually I don't really have a lot of time to read that <laughs> and like the whole ADD thing. Like <laughs> I read a, I read a page five times. So if, so if a book is a hundred pages, I'm reading it five uh, five hundred pages because <laughs> I have to read the page like five times over. Um, so I listen to a lot of audiobooks because mm. I I'm always always on the go. Uh, and like if I'm in the tractor at work or something like that, I've got my headphones in listening mm-hmm. to audiobooks. But that's one of them that's that's on my queue. I started listening to it the other day. Yeah, and he talks about like a lot a lot of Native Americans uh, societies. What they would do is they'd have like people when they come back from war, the the whole yeah the exact, yes in Marblehead. I love that yeah. idea. They would they would sit sit the whole tribe down and then have all the warriors give give them space to talk about their experience and whether it's like i was such a fucking badass i took this dude's head off with a tomahawk and i was just like yeah or it was like i saw some crazy shit i saw my brother die like that kind of thing and it's like allowing them the space to do that is 
like oh it's so there's so much there but like because of the way we don't we don't allow veterans to talk about their experiences in public like that or it's like something that it just does it's not it's not culturally there's no cultural sanction for it that something like the Marblehead thing where they're like every Veterans Day getting or is it Memorial Day? I, I can't remember what, One of what the day two. it is. Yeah. Um, it, like just getting like town hall. Everybody goes to the town hall and all the veterans speak their piece. And it might they like whether they were from Vietnam, or Korea or Afghanistan, just giving them the space. And they might say some really crazy shit or they might say some really heartfelt stuff. But just giving them the space to be able to in front of their whole community talk about these things. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's. It's kind of fucked up that <laughs> our society has these platforms for alcoholics and drug users, something called AA, but we don't have this platform for guys that are really emotionally disturbed coming back from wars to talk about. They're, it's almost like they're expected to just come back and be normal. Uh, I mean, it's like this scene in, uh, I, I just watched it the other day, uh, called Her, uh, a scene in Hurt Locker, mm-hmm. where um, guy's like sitting there just trying to talk to his wife about just like shit that happened to him. And it's it's like, and she just gives him like no time of day. And it's like that, that's like amplified through society, not not only just our, like the, the, the closest ones, but it's also through a lot of people. It's like. It's just like you got to get that stuff off your chest, because mm-hmm. um, otherwise you are burying it deep, dark, <laughs> packing it in, packing it in, <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to come out in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, it's like wh- what happened to like Chris Kyle. I mean, mm. the guy completely flipped the switch and killed him, which was a sad story. And it was like because he was suffering from PTSD. So I know, I know, I can't wait to have Josh back on to talk more about this stuff. Um, but, um, no, it, it, it's, uh, it, crazy stuff, mm-hmm. crazy stuff. But I love, like, I love that idea of like the, just like the, the town hall meeting, um, that and Sebastian Junger is like, I'm, is I'm, I'm just getting into that dude. He's, he's pretty cool. He's from New Hampshire. Very, very you know cool. that? Is he really? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he like worked in Portsmouth for a while. And he worked for like Urban Tree Co. or something like that. That's like what, when he worked oh, for Oh yeah. When he was the arborist, that's who he worked for. Oh, yeah. that's rad. He's from, I like I think he's from Portsmouth. From Portsmouth? Yeah. Originally. Nah. But now he I think he lives in New York. I know he owns a bar in New York City now. Like that's like his main thing. But he's from he's from New Hampshire. That's awesome. That was like the whole inspiration of him writing The Perfect Storm. It's like it was like something he'd heard about oh. over the years. And then decided to go down and write the story about it. But that's where he's from New Hampshire. Uh, have you gotten into Sapiens? Yeah I, yeah, I heard that. I listened to that on audiobook on my road trip, and it was so good. It's it's really good. Still, you gotta check out. I'm well. I'm like a big fan of. Uh, uh, well, Restrepo was awesome that documentary. But then we, just, uh, I just actually recently watched. Um, have you seen his documentary, The Last Patrol? No, it's pretty interesting. He's, it's him, the guy that took all the photos for him when he was on assignment in Afghanistan and Iraq. So and he's like a French guy, and then he went with these two. One of the guy, I think, I can't remember if they were both in Restrepo. They might have been, um, or the Corngall, whatever documentary he did. Um, but they walked from like uh, the Amtrak trail from like Tennessee to Massachusetts, and like walked the whole thing, oh, and man. like and 
like backpacked and all that stuff like and, and put tents up and didn't stay in any hotels or whatever and like the whole idea was like it's actually really illegal to walk on train tracks so it was like they were trying to be covert and undercover and not get arrested by the transit police the whole time but <laughs> I, it was like i may they, or may not have been chased by the cops one time on the train track <laughs> but that's what it was all about was like that's why they called the last patrol because it was like kind of exciting and dangerous mm. but not so exciting and dangerous they were going to get shot at and things like that <laughs> but they wanted to see kind of the united states from kind of that point of view it was really interesting like and so of course like along the way they're like camping out and like they have like the whole campfire and they're all just sitting around talking about their experiences being in iraq and afghanistan and like um like this the one of the guys he was like uh his dad was a severe alcoholic when he was a kid so like not only like it starts like he's talking about like all the traumatic things he saw in Af- uh like Iraq and Afghanistan, but then it starts going even deeper to like oh, his yeah. dad being an alcoholic and like beating him and never being proud of him and all this stuff. It's like some really, really heavy shit, but it's a really good documentary. And that's what they talk about. Like, because even Sebastian Junger not being ever enlisted in the military, but going and being embedded in war came back with PTSD. You know, yeah. he didn't have to kill anybody or anything. It was just his experience he had ptsd so it was kind of it was interesting to see the therapeutic aspect of the guy telling the story along with trying to tell all these other guys stories too it was really interesting it's on netflix or no is it on it's either on netflix or hbo i can't remember but it's a it's really really good you should see it check that out it's called the last patrol total side note uh something brought up uh a subject is like i i find it interesting you can't walk on railroads anymore i mean like you're not supposed to um when i mean it's like that was like a that mm. was a, that was like a major industry uh, uh, to be fair an air track train goes pretty fucking fast <laughs> yeah, it, it does. <laughs> it's not it's not like the old like cargo freight liner that you can see coming from like six miles away and you're like oh, i should probably get out these fucking tracks now you know what i mean it's like yeah. they're doing like 90 miles an hour or some bullshit that's, yeah, prob- that's mean, probably why it's illegal there's, <laughs> there's probably been some some uh some 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 self-correcting right things in the past. Call, calling the but, herd but it, it, yeah definitely calling the herd um but i mean that used to be like i mean that was that was something that was off like often happened was like walking the railroads and and like like you travel on it's a nice and flat and, nice and like flat. You like no crazy turns because you otherwise the trains will topple over yeah it's like exactly the, like it's a, a real like a path that is created and so yeah it'd be nice to walk it i just saw um just read an article online about uh i should read the book but um this book called enjoy the journey and it was about a guy who was um a legit hobo from Portsmouth. <laughs> and like he same thing, you'd like get on trains illegally and like like just ride the rails and come back or whatever. And I guess the whole story behind him is, is he was like a real estate mogul in Portsmouth and got married and his wife died when he was thirty and he became like a severe alcoholic and had like serious mm-hmm. like mental and emotional distress over it and just started to drink and finally was like fuck it he like lost all his money lost all his real estate holdings and all that stuff and then just was like i'm gonna this train and fucking take it to alabama some shit <laughs> and like that's what the whole story is about and then now he's sober and he wrote a book and whatever it's pretty i think i heard something about that recently yeah. i i i went to school with uh these uh three kids um at new england college i remember the oldest one was named ben and because I had originally met Ben, uh, I think he was right after high school. I was working in a kitchen in uh, 
uh, oh, what's that really good breakfast place? It's right down by the uh, Sagamore River. Golden Egg. There there you all go. the time. Golden Egg. Look, um, look, look how so excited proud. he was over so his memory <laughs> there. <laughs> oh my God, I have some memory left. Um, so I was uh, I was a I was a dish dog at <clears throat> the Golden Egg, and and this kid Ben had just come back from uh, traveling across America on foot. Oh, and man. all three kids did it. Like Ben was the oldest, and um, and he had some crazy stories. I mean, like meeting these hippies out in like like I I think it was like uh, outside Seattle, like right on right on the uh, right on the water. And this girl had a dress made of spider webs. I mean, like she cl- she harvested spider webs for like long enough time that she was actually able to like huh. knit together an entire I I, dress. I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a fucking lot of spider that's webs, a lot dude. Of spider web. <laughs> I, I don't know, it, it, but like he had some like. Was really, it bulletproof? Really... <laughs> <laughs> she could fly too. Um, but uh, some really really crazy stories and uh, like hopping trains and and getting kicked off trains and all that stuff. And it was like. Like that is so cool, and his younger brother did it, and I think his his younger sister attempted to do it, but had a lot of had a lot of problems uh, mm-hmm. along the way. But just odd people. I mean, like just such. such I mean, it's like the the boxcar kids in in, in reality. I know some people have ridden that bike across country. Same kind of deal. Like, um, at the. A small tube chassis gives you a little bit of extra security. You can get away faster or whatever, but <laughs> it's funny. Like that was never even on my radar. I'm like, I'd like to. I mean, like I now that I'm. I mean, being older, I if it was a younger me, I definitely like. I definitely ride a bike across America or do something. I was like, it's like, man, I missed my chance. Mm. Now I'm like, I enjoy the comfort of my car. <laughs> Well, even like driving across country, like, yeah. you know what I mean? With kind of no, like, definite plan, you know what I mean? That's a, a scary thought in its own. In I, I had car. a dream for a little while of, of uh, getting getting out of school and, like, just going, going. I was going to write a book. I went to culinary school and I was completely sold on it. And I wanted to write a book called uh, The Last American Comey. Uh it's I think spelled like C O M M I S, which is like French term for like basically like the catch all guy. So uh, a comi back in French day French uh, uh, days was basically the guy that would he kind of be like the jack of all trades in the kitchen, and he'd also like sleep in the kitchen, and keep the <laughs> fires going, and 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 do this. And he he was he was like the odd man. He'd be dishwasher one day and and like real guy the next day, whatever. I was I was like you know it'd be really cool to get a truck and get one of those like campers right in the bed of the truck so I could just I I didn't have to tow anything and drive across America and go hang out at these different restaurants and like hang out here for a couple of weeks hang out mm. there for a couple of weeks write a book about it obviously it never happened because <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. life life likes to like just kind of push you this way and that mm-hmm. um, as much as you might try but now it's but on the topic of books, this segues perfectly into mm-hmm. yours. Yeah, I uh, so I wrote a book uh, over the course of the past year, and I was it was it was a lot of fun. I wrote one like like a thousand words every week, and then times that by fifty two weeks, it's you end up spitting out a book that's like two hundred pages long, and uh, so it's just like long sustained effort, and it's called on the education of a physician. 
And uh, I wrote it specifically because I felt like there was this big, like there's, there are these big gaps in, in a lot of literature. Like because in medical school, in the medical field, people will go through their medical education, they'll go through the residency, and then they'll spend a couple of years practicing, and then they're like, oh, I can write a book now about all my experiences. And then it's like, boom, that's great. But there's like, it's like with hindsight. You know, like there, there's, there, you, you can create a story about what happened in your past and you can kind of gloss over certain facts. And what I really, as, especially as somebody entering the medical field, I felt like I wanted to know what it was like on a, like a, on the ground in the dirt basis of like, what does it feel like to be in medical school, like week by week and sort of like, what would it, like, I imagine it's something similar in, in BJJ where like people will write about like or talk about what it's like as a black belt to have gone from a white belt to a black belt. But very few people will talk about what it's like as a white belt while they're a white belt, you know, and right. like, that's a very interesting perspective. But you you miss it and pe because people don't put in that time on the front end to have that experience. And so that's what I wanted to do with this book is to give like squirrely folks or like pre-meds or just somebody that wants to know what is it like to go through this crazy experience ahead of time while it's happening. Uh, because it's like, I, I think that there's a great, a lot of great writers out there, but there, there's like this very small niche that's missing. Mm -hmm. So what, I mean, why not, uh, why not have like a blog post uh, that's like a weekly thing as opposed like what what made you want to write a book instead of like doing like a blog? Oh, I did. I do. It was a oh, blog. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I got to get in all, all the information. Yeah, it was. So I wrote it as a blog on my okay. on my website, uh, M&M Wad, uh, Mobility Mindfulness Work of the Day. Yes. And um, yeah, I would post it there and then I just collected it. I was like kind of like, oh, wow, I've accidentally wrote a book and then like this summer and then so I took a road trip out to California uh with my partner Mackenzie and uh then like that's when I during the summer uh once school ended I like left immediately and then I sort of collected all of my all the posts and then started working on publishing it through Amazon and then uh, a couple weeks ago on actually July 4th it was like boom it's out in the world that's that's awesome that's absolutely awesome <laughs> like I, I my my Facebook presence is 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 that a, is that a nil <laughs> right now? Like I, I was a little frustrated last night, but um, but before that, it was like it was like scroll 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 scroll, like like scroll scroll. So it's like it's like I I like catch very little information. It's mm. it, it for the most part, most of the time I go on Facebook is like something to do with the gym, mm. um, and like coaches stuff. Uh, other than that, it's like. Very little presence because mm -hmm. all the fill in my feed is just nothing but negative shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's tough, especially right now. It's like a really weird time. It's really, it's really awful. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I might have made a post last night basically <laughs> saying like, "Fuck it, I'm done. Peace out. <laughs> Peace out." <laughs> um, but uh, that's outstanding. I mean, oh, that, that's you. cool, and you're giving me ideas to yeah. write about being a white belt <laughs> yeah it's, it's just it's, it's getting my ass choked out yeah like what is it like on your first day as a white belt it's like a really score like you're like holy shit i don't know what's going on right now i don't even know how to tie this fucking belt <laughs> <laughs> exactly like oh 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 okay you're getting in between my legs <laughs> like, i don't know how you did that i don't know how you always end up on top it's like i don't know what's going on <laughs> There's actually a really good book called, I think it's called, oh, and it's not White Belt. It's um, The Blue Belt Chronicles, I think. Mm. 
but it's about a guy who like same like idea like he had started jujitsu and he actually was engaged and somewhere along the way he and his fiance decided not to get married and she like left so he moved to Hawaii and started training with BJ Penn and like bought this old like <laughs> Zuzu pickup truck and like for like it was like a five dollar truck because I'm pretty much was like you know fucking pay to get it out of here and you can have it. So he like bought this truck and he just drove around Hawaii and like lived at BJ's Academy. They have like a hostel, so he just lived in a hostel <laughs> for like f- like two years or whatever and drove this piece of shit truck and trained jujitsu and wrote a book about it. That's pretty cool. Oh no, Cauliflower Carnival. This is what it's called. Cauliflower. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the same idea. Like in the trenches, like what it's like to train, you know. And he was a white guy go moving to Hawaii, so like it was like a lot like really tense for a while and things like that. It was pretty cool. Gives me ideas. It does, doesn't Just it? Do it. Yeah, that's it's because it's like the same thing with becoming a black belt. Is it's like it's sustained long term effort. Like you right. can have like little bouts of inspiration here and there. We're like this is the coolest thing ever. I'm like getting the fire under my ass. But it's really just like showing up regularly and and like putting in words or putting in time in the gym like very very regularly. And the non sexy just like just just do it. <laughs> yeah, and and that, that's that's uh. I I guess you could say this is it it kind of brings up some a subject in my mind uh of like the social media presence that a lot of people have where they're just like it's like no one ever no one ever posts an Instagram on their worst day it's always mm-hmm. the best day mm-hmm. well I mean like I mean like uh for some reason the first thing that comes to mind is like girls on Instagram that's like they of course they, it's the first thing that comes to mind <laughs> 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 um. <laughs> they they go from being like uh, like Ashley nineteen ninety two to Ashley fit in, after they've been working out for a week, right? And and all of a sudden it's just like they're like they go from posing at parties with beers to posing in a gym in spandex, and, and it's like there's so many people out there saying like look what I can do, look what I'm doing. Like I wonder if there's, so cool. there's a correlation though. Um, I have a friend. Oh, it's not, it's not really a friend, acquaintance to jiu-jitsu. Her name's uh, Aaron Hurl, and she's like, she's a really good brown belt from New York. And um, her boyfriend, his Johnny Grippo, who's like this amazing jiu-jitsu practitioner, he's actually doing a seminar at Academy soon. Um, but she like writes for like uh, all these different publications, and she was like the, a photographer for the IBJJF, whatever. And she put this post up one time and was like. Why is it that as soon as people get a blue belt, they add BJJ to all their screen names? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, like, dignified now because, and, and, and well, like, because I got a blue belt. You know, like, you need to recognize yeah. that I'm actually really serious about jujitsu. And I'm like, not really. You know, you know how many people quit when they get their blue belt? But it's funny. She's like, why? Why is it that? And like. It's not even blue belts anymore. It's like white belts. Right. Like, I mean, why, why are you allowed to have an athlete page on Facebook as a blue belt? <laughs> like, you've been doing jiu-jitsu for all of seven months. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, like, like not to... But I wonder, if the, is there a correlation between, like, people add go to medical school and they're like, oh, like, I'm a doctor. <laughs> doctor like, eh. in the house. Right. <laughs> like, or they, like, immediately start giving, like, a medical advice. Be like, oh, yeah, like, you got a splinter. I'll fucking tell you how to take that out. Like, we'll surgically remove that. I had a buddy uh, t- uh, text me the other day about like his poops because he was like, I don't know why my poops are really weird in the morning after I work out. And I was like, well, let me break it down for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I got to talk to him about like 15 minutes about poop. 
Yeah, but no, but it's true. Like about uh, people, uh, one thing that I was, I felt like I was raised by the internet. Like I was like, I was one of those weird, goofy Asian dudes growing up. Like in middle school, I played a lot of video games. I read a lot of message boards on the internet and just like that kind of stuff. So I felt like I had a, a like a, a five year heads up for like the general population of people of how do you cultivate an online presence and like what does it mean to do so? Exactly, it's really weird because it's like when you look at certain people on the internet, you can tell like what kind of presence are they cultivating and whether they do so intentionally or not, you can cultivate a shitty persona on the internet or you can like people complaining about shit, people like talking about like really negative shit or like reposting all this weird like gore and shit like that. Or you can be a positive person, like know that you're like, or if somebody comes, you know, it's just like being intentional about like what you're doing on the internet because everybody can see it. And this shit is written in ink, not in pencil. And uh, understanding that is has been really interesting for me because it's it's like like you said like a lot of people they just they just spew out some nonsense and it just creates more anger and it doesn't do anything it's just friction for the sake of friction and it's not doing stuff yeah I, mean, I you just summed up a lot of stuff recreational that I outrage like. yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think it's funny. I have some friends, not to like. I am so outraged, but first I'm gonna go to Starbucks. Right. <laughs> I I have some friends. Oh, and then I friends or acquaintances, and I, like I don't want to get into the political debate, but it's so funny. They are in one political camp, like they're either Democrats or Republicans, and I swear to God, it like so. For instance, they're Democrats, and but I swear to God, if Donald Trump was a Democratic nomination, that'd be all about Donald Trump. You know what I mean? It's just like, I'm in this camp and I don't care who the person is that's the nomination, I'm supporting them fully. Like, I'm like, this is the weirdest shit I've ever seen. Like, you have no nuanced perspective mm-hmm. whatsoever. You're just towing a line. It's, it's the craziest shit I've ever seen. I'm like, Jesus Christ. But it's the same thing. Like, I like people that are like, uh, I forget, there was some CNN interview with, uh, with Hillary Clinton and like, the majority of people are like, this is the craziest shit I've ever heard anybody say in a political like campaign ever. And they're like, what's so outrageous about it? Like, can you imagine being a black person in the inner city? I'm like, you're a 55 year old white guy. You can't imagine that either. Shut the <laughs> fuck up. Like it's, it's the craziest shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm like, you, you can look at, so you can look generally really quickly. If you look at like the last three posts that somebody makes, you can tell if they're a consumer or if they're a producer of something. Like if right. they're if they're just like reposting and if they're just recycling opinions versus being somebody who is actually like doing things. Like that right. like it's it's a, like the internet age is so weird because like for me with the podcast on death, like I was just like I I got a squirrely idea and I started recording it on my phone and then I started talking to Duncan and then boom, we started getting it out to the world. But it was one of those things where it's like there's there's such a small barrier to entry now for being able to make things like for me on the internet like for me in this book I I created I like just decided to start writing it and then I put it on on Amazon and then but like there's no barrier to entry now like you just need to start doing shit and right. then you start need to start making it or you can just use the internet as a way to scroll through a feed and just see funny shit and then just like that's your that's just all that you're just you're just receiving it as, as like a as like a like a stock animal like a livestock just like being force fed information and it's like oh god do cool shit yeah and i think that's where i'm at. it's like it's like 
I'd like, how do I change the algorithm on Facebook to just send me <laughs> happy things that friends are doing? Because that's what Facebook originally was. Mm-hmm. And that's what and like. I love Facebook in the, in the beginning of like the unfollow option was the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not even kidding you. Yeah, like, man. My Facebook feed, like I'm like, it, you post one like bullshit negative thing. And I'm like, not following you anymore. Like it's it's fucking ridiculous. Like all my friends are either like people that I know and talk to on a daily basis or high level jujitsu guys that all their posts are in Portuguese anyway. So if I don't, <laughs> if, I don't if I don't hit the if I don't hit the translate button, I don't even know what they're saying. I'm like, oh it's cool, you're posting this awesome technique. You know what I mean? Like literally I'm like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time like there's enough bad shit going on in the world. I don't need to hear about your fucking hangnail. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> um so, uh, speaking of BJJ, you started doing BJJ. Yes. Yes, I did. Um, but when this past school year was ending, I, uh, started, I stopped weightlifting, stopped doing CrossFit really, and then started going deep into BJJ and then finals happened. And, uh, unfortunately I like the, over the summer I've been traveling so much that I haven't been able to do it, but it was, uh, it's really fucking weird, but really fucking cool. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> my life. Yeah, man. It's like, and it's also weird shit. Cause like I'm into slacklining now. Um, and just it, where, where you take like a, uh, two inch nylon webbing, you string it between two trees and you walk on it. And it's like shit like that, that has been teaching me a lot of really weird ancillary things about BJJ. Like re- I have really good footwork as a result of slacklining. Like you can try to push me around and unless you're like really good, like Derek, you can't really push me around because I like, I am so sure of my footing and it's like really weird, squirrely shit, like ancillary stuff, like CrossFit too. I'm sure, you know, like as a CrossFitter, you have like really strong hips, but like not necessarily all the other shit, <laughs> but yeah. like, you know, like all of those weird, it's, it's like. It's a weird thing. Like when you become a competitive CrossFitter, like at the highest like games or regionals levels, you, in order to become a better CrossFitter, a competitive CrossFitter, you can't really continue doing CrossFit. You need to do other side shit, like swim a lot or jujitsu. And as a jujitsu arrow, you can't necessarily, I mean, you can, you can keep rolling and that'll get you really good, but it's like doing other weird shit like CrossFit. Like I know that you're doing that as a result. Like, like it's weird. Like I've been finding that as really weird. It's like, Doing the thing that you really want to get good at will help you to get to a certain point. But after a certain point, you need to get doing some other really weird shit. Yeah. And I, I like speaking of weird shit, like I'm, I'm loving like the fact that there's, I've been seeing a lot of posts lately by high level CrossFitters doing weird shit. <laughs> yeah. Like doing overhead yoke carries. I think Ben Bergeron had, uh, had his athletes the other day doing call like baby carries. We're just taking a dumbbell and like, like say you're gonna you're you're trying to hug yourself, mm-hmm. so you basically just hug the dumbbell in your chest and just basically going out for a walk. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it taxes the lower back. I've, I've been doing some strongman stuff, so I can see where that where he would be going with that that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. kind of strengthens the hips. Um, instead of like just doing like a heavy farmer's walk, it's like it's it's more more uh, higher up on the chest. Um, but like I, I I love that kind of stuff. I, like I love stepping outside the box, um, and and like stepping out of CrossFit and going to BJJ. Mm-hmm. It, like Derek and I, we talk about this heavily about like the correlation between the two. It's just a, it is amazing. Such an easy transition. Mm-hmm. Um, to to and especially like since like I mean you you went through your coach. You went through like. Uh, I think you, you went to, we went to a lot of like a few seminars together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like learning how to control your body. And then you step into the BJJ uh, <laughs> arena and all of a sudden it's like, 
I've heard a couple of times we're like, oh, fuck, I got to roll with a CrossFitter. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently we have, uh, we're notorious for just being strong bastards. And strong ornery bastards. Strong ornery <laughs> bastards. I hold, I hold on for dear life. You hold on a little too much for dear life. I know. I know. <laughs> I tense up. And like, um, I learned something the other day. I didn't even know there was something called Prolin Guard. Sure is. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't don't. So in other words, you just go docile and just let somebody get in right your guard. Don't don't learn <laughs> don't 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 learn too much about it because because pulling. Oh, I mean, there's an art to pulling guard. Okay. But not just explain it for me. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was something as simple as just like allowing somebody to get into your guard. No. So you, if you're more comfortable playing the bottom, which so one of my because t-shirt on right now, but one of my favorite. Jiu-jitsu, uh, I don't know, figures is uh, Chris Howder. He was um, one of the, the first 12 white guys to ever get a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He got it from uh, Higgin Machado. Um, and he has, like, all these, like, like if you – I mean, honestly, like, Chris is an awesome guy and he's got awesome technique or whatever, but sometimes his jiu-jitsu philosophy and the way he speaks about jiu-jitsu is more impressive than his actual technique. He's an older guy and he does like really basic jiu-jitsu. Like he's the one that has that think street, train sport, practice art. It's his like whole thing. Like mm-hmm. to, so you can kind of encompass all the facets of jiu-jitsu in your everyday training. Um, but he has like all these like little, like one of the <laughs> favorite things he ever said was like when you're have someone you're holding someone down you go heart to heart and he's like heart to heart not because you love him but because you love to fucking kill him like that's like <laughs> like he's just got like all this like like he, he just the way he taught you like yeah you get all fired up about it but he was like so the difference between brazilian jiu-jitsu and every other martial art is that it teaches you how to fight off your back so it it the guard is specific to jiu-jitsu but the guard was invented so that you didn't have to be there anymore the guard is, was invented so you didn't have to play guard. So the whole purpose of playing guard is to either submit the guy so you don't have to be on the bottom anymore or sweep and end up on top. The whole point of the guard isn't just to sit in the guard. Yeah. Um, so he always says, that's what he says, is like resist the seductive nature of the guard because you can play guard your whole... I mean, there's a ton of people who like they only play guard. But that being said when you're pulling guard, there's a whole, like if you're more comfortable playing guard and you're not comfortable to stand up and, and getting takedowns and ending up on top, there's a whole system and whole philosophy to pulling guard and ending up on the bottom. So then you can, as soon as the match starts or whatever the situation is, you're on your back in the most comfortable position that you know how to play with your most amount of tools. So it's not just like, oh, I'm going to pull. I mean, you're, your best guard might be closed guard, so you pull closed guard, you know, or your best guard might be spider guard, so you pull spider guard, or whatever variation of the guard is. Like, uh, this guy, Luke Slash, he's got probably one of the most fascinating half guards ever, and he pulls half guard, which is like pulling half guard in his own is like super technical and hard to do, but that's what he does just so that he can get into his most comfortable guard to work for a sweeper submission right off the bat instead of going for a takedown that he might not be good at and end up on top. 
Yeah, as as so like I have no I don't I haven't really talked about jujitsu with anybody that actually knows about jujitsu. Right. So it's really interesting. Uh, like when I've been when I even I've only done like five or six classes, but it's really weird in that like you I can tell very and I'm sure you can too that like very quickly you can tell if somebody is more of like uh is more comfortable on top or on bottom. Right. And unfortunately, I I, I use like the gay terminology like a top or a bottom like a power bottom. I'm a power bottom. I found right. that out about myself. <laughs> I'm a strong. I love being on my back, and it's just like that's a much more comfortable position for me to work from right. and like i don't know was there like an official like or is there less you know borrowed from the gay culture of like top and bottom no i mean you can you, you, you either you like to play guard or you like to pass you know what i mean there's, ah, there we there's, go. there's one or the other i mean but it's like yeah do you have Same a better idea. a top game or a, a bottom game you know what i mean it's like more it's i mean there, there are definitely some some latent <laughs> gay, gay, gay innuendos that go on in jujitsu but oh yeah it's funny i mean that's what I get that question all the time is like, what is it like to roll with a girl? I'm like, it's the same as rolling with a guy because there's no sexual innuendo when this girl is trying to <laughs> strangle you and put you unconscious or break your arm. You know what I mean? Like there's like, all of that goes right out the window. Yeah. You know what I mean, there's no, yeah. Uh, I, I, I like, I think I, I remember, I, I think I talked about this on a podcast not too long ago, but one of the first, or I might've talked to you offhand, but one of the first times I really, 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 like first I, I, I rolled with, uh, Amanda, uh, George's wife. And like, I just let her just own me. <laughs> cause I was like, I was like, I was like, I'm not really sure. It was like, cause I know I could overpower like the hell out of her. Right. And like, I was, and it was, I was still really, really new. Um, so like she just, she owned me really fast with technique and right. you know, I was, I was like, I, okay, I got that out of the way. And then the next time, um, uh, like, and, and it was, it was like, I, I could, I, I wanted to thank her, but I, I also didn't want to be like super creepy <laughs> for, for the fact that I got to roll with her and it was, I was like, okay, I am physically superior. I can own this person hard just with physical like just by physical uh, uh tech uh, not even technique just brute force own her i was like okay i gotta work on my technique like right. and i'm and like i i struggle with trying to get my technique and i I tried to get her in a headlock and all, all this other and 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 i tried to like create pressure and and i mean she held on and, and I, I was like after after it was it was like i learned a massive lesson in how to drop my strength and use my technique. Um, and like, I really want to be, be like, I want to, I, I really want to hug you right now. <laughs> like I learned so much from you. And, and that's how I think I, I, I don't know, deep down inside, I'm a fairly emotional person. And, and, and like every time I roll with somebody, like I want to hug them afterwards because like I don't want to do like the standard like arm and like a pat on the back like I want to hug them I want to hug the shit out of them because like there's something has happened in between us and whether you want to acknowledge it or not something has happened between us where like I'm like you taught me a lesson I feel closer to you as a human being than I like have before we started mm-hmm. and it's it's like. It's like the first time, like Elliot and I, kind of like we, we we hung out a little bit, and we're kind of like eh, nah, nah, like like high, high five, and it's like joked around a bit, and like once we rolled the first time, I rolled with Elliot for the first time, which is one of the first times I ever did roll. Um, it was like I immediately found felt myself bonded to him, 
and like now mm. I'm 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 like I trust you more as a human being after I've rolled with you because like I've had this weird like this this like very physical connection with you that's like non-sexual just a huge physical connection and I think that's like one of the most amazing things you come away from BJJ which what's what adds to the brotherhood of BJJ is like it, it's it's like I think it's like this thing that doesn't get said out out loud that's like hey let's bond and roll and after you roll with somebody it's like totally different it's it's like it's like oh Eugene you roll now we gotta do this we got <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we got we gotta get some bonding in have uh, you um have you meanwhile have, trying to choke each other out <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> have you ever done acro yoga acro yoga yeah no, it is. It's like um, it's very, very similar to jujitsu, but in, in in that it's it's intimate physical contact that is non-sexual. But acro yoga is much slower, and it's sort of it's in in acro yoga. It's like there's a base, and then there's a flyer. So the base will have their legs up, like they'll be laying on their back, and then they'll throw their legs up in at like a ninety degree angle into the air, and then the flyer will be on top of their legs in the air, suspended, like supported only by the the base's legs. And then you can do some re- like we can Google it, but you can do some really really crazy shit. In I think I've seen some, some stuff yeah. like that. And it's it's very very similar to jujitsu, but it's not. It doesn't have that like strong like power or like speed aspect to it. There can be a speed aspect to it, but it's a much slower um, aspect of like being being physically close to somebody like that. And it's really really cool. Interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for the black belt over here to say something. I'm not doing acro yoga with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I reserve my uh, intimate touching to choking the shit out of you. And breaking <laughs> sorry, sorry, bro. <laughs> not feet on hips. <laughs> if my feet are on your hips, it's because I'm sending you flying. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it, it, there's like that. There's this weird. There's there's a really cool bonding thing that happens mm-hmm. in BJJ. And that's what a lot of people don't. Uh, I think a lot of people from the outside don't see it. They just see it as, I don't know, who the who the hell was somebody posted the other day that was like one of those one of those memes. It's like what society thinks I do, what my parents think I do, right. what I think I. And it was, it was great. It was like on point. It was like absolutely on point. And like it's like pretty much everything until you get to like what I actually do is like people doing karate and like, <laughs> right, right. like breaking boards and shit like that. Um, but what you're actually doing is doing this like very violent rolling and just churning. Yeah, man. Weird shit. But yeah, and it's also it's also weird because you, you, you don't get any of that in CrossFit. You do like a very, very small amount when you work out next to somebody and, you know, you do like the sweat angel next to them. But... Yeah, you you learn something about a person when you roll with them, but like, and you learn a lot of things that you would never learn just by doing a workout. Like, yeah, like that technique versus power lesson. You can't learn that in CrossFit unless you get like broken by a workout and you feel, like throw your back out and you're like, oh, I should have used more technique. Yeah, it's like there the most physical intimacy you're gonna get is like a hand slap and a chest bump and, and mm-hmm. CrossFit. I mean, yeah, you might have just. Uh, suffered through the same workout and like gone through like a really shitty time together and changed as human beings, but there's not a whole lot of bonding, and that's and that's pretty cool about BJJ. There's a lot of bonding. I feel like um, even like I love CrossFit, and I think like like if it, no matter how you kind of feel about CrossFit, 
there are some things about it that are amazing. The community is amazing. You know, um, it, whether you agree with the modality or not, um, you know, it reaches a ton of people. A lot of people have uh, started working out that probably never would have worked out before because of CrossFit. It's it's pretty much saved Olympic lifting in <laughs> the the you know in the United States. Uh, you know, it's a, there's a force behind it. They're a great job. You know, CrossFit as a as a um, a corporation and as a business model has done great. Like the, the, the way they support their box on like the people who affiliate is amazing like that. Um, so I can't say enough about good things about CrossFit. Um, but there are definitely some things about CrossFit that I notice just coming from the jujitsu aspect of it. And jujitsu is so, um, objective. And I feel like CrossFit is still to the point where, because a, I mean, maybe at the games a little bit because there's someone judging you and telling you whether you're... But even then, like, some people, like, you know, the, even what a, a full rep is, is really subjective. You know what I mean? Like, if you... Like, I remember I just watched the Fittest on Earth documentary on Netflix, and it was, like, some ex, uh, workout where uh, Camille got no reps like a million fucking times and she had like a fucking breakdown because she thought she was doing full reps or whatever. So like between her and her judge, there was this disconnect on what a full rep was, whatever. When you roll with somebody, there's no <laughs> subjective about who wins and who loses. You know what I mean? There's like, and it, like I talked about this before. It doesn't matter why you lost. You know, it could be because you're not good at a technique and you're taking the risk to get better at it. I mean, as a black belt, I deal with that all the time. Like, I'm not good at this stuff, so I'm going to try it. And my lower belts, if I don't mind my P's and Q's, they're going to get me. But I know it's because I'm trying something. But it doesn't matter. It's very uh, objective, the fact that you're not good at something, and that's why you're getting caught. You know what I mean? Like, the other day, we had this kid who's a purple belt, really good purple belt, and he footlocked me so many times. But it was because I was putting myself in a position where I knew I wasn't good there, and I was trying to work something out. You know what I mean? But he, dead to rights, tapped me three or four times with the same technique because I was working on something, but he was better at me attacking than I was defending. This, this, it's super objective. I feel like that, like, and I've had this happen to me a couple of times, not particularly anybody that is at our gym, which is really cool, but like I've had really high level crossfitters complain to me about why they're not beating me worse than they are. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like you obviously, like there's some amount of ego there where you're like, like you, you finished the workout way before I did, and for some reason you're not happy that you didn't beat me in the workout more than you more than you did. You know what I mean? Where in jujitsu it's like win or lose. You know what I mean? It's not like you're like, oh, I beat you so bad. You know what I mean? Like, I, like it's like no, like for whatever reason you got caught. You know what I mean? And I, I feel like that's the biggest difference. And I think one thing that I think that CrossFit culture could learn. From, I mean, like, and I don't know how you do it. I have no answers, but I feel like jujitsu is just so objective. There's no like mistaking like success. You know what I mean? It's yeah. weird. But yeah. I feel like getting choked out is getting choked out. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a very strong binary nature to it. Like with the CrossFit, because you, you quantify everything, you have reps and you have the time and like, and I notice like a lot of, in a lot of the gyms that I go to, like time, time caps are always such, so like controversial for like the culture of the gym and the, and the, and the coaches, because it's so binary in that like jujitsu way where it's like you either beat the time cap or you do not beat the time cap. And it tells you something very stark and true about yourself. And it's like, some people are not comfortable with that idea. Right. And like, that's what I love about jujitsu. Yeah. It's like, 
I'm not as good as this dude. <laughs> like, right, it's right. just like, it's just a fact. And it's like, I, I maybe tomorrow I'll be a little bit better, but today it's just like, boom. John Danaher, I've trained John Danaher and he was like, you have to get over the fact that jiu-jitsu is a zero-sum game. And I was mm-hmm. like, boom! I was like, <laughs> like, it fucking blew my mind that he just put it, he just laid it out like that. Like, uh, and I was a black belt when I trained with him. So like, as a black belt, I like, I just was coming to realizations where I already, like 10 years in, I was like, you're right. It is. There's no like, bullshit is zero sum you either win or you lose like there's no not everybody is a winner right exactly (laughs) um and more often not the majority of people are losers like that's that's the craziest shit 50 50 chance right well i mean it seems like there's 50 50 chances there isn't it's not a 50 50 chance it's like fucking one in a hundred you're gonna win you know what i mean and that (laughs) that's like other thing about like I, i think that's the difference between someone who does jujitsu and the rest of the population, like that whole, like putting yourself out there, you know what I mean? And like, like I said, no one takes a picture and posts it on Instagram on their worst day. It's always their best day. And in jujitsu, you're f- like, you're forced with it being your worst day on the mat all the time. You know what I mean? Hardly ever. You were like, that was the best day in my jujitsu career. Most of the time you're like, fuck another bad day on the mat. You know what I mean? And that's what, something that I was struggling with. Yeah, going to the first couple of jiu-jitsu classes was just like, oh my god, I'm gonna have a really, really tough class. Like this, is, like every, every like just put, throwing my stuff, my gi in the bag. I was just like, oh man, I don't know if I want to put myself through this. I just want to be good at shit. Right. Like it's just, it's so easy. Right, right. Well, and then the worst part is, so you feel like that was a white belt. Like, enjoy being a white belt. Enjoy it because there's some solace in the fact that everybody beats you. Because as a black belt, when you go and you're supposed to be good and there's someone else who is making you feel like a white belt again, it's fucking earth shattering. It's, <laughs> it's fucking earth shattering. Like I, I go through that sometimes where I'm like, cause I'm a pretty decent black belt. Like, and I've rolled a lot of high level guys and held my own and then I'll go and I'll roll with someone and I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like I got just put like molested me. You know what I mean? There's nothing I could have done. And it's crazy. Like 10 years into it and not this still so far to go it's crazy that's the other thing like that'd be interesting to talk to you guys about being kind of uh more seasoned crossfitters is like i find it funny the and i really don't have an opinion on it just something i've noticed is the short road to success in crossfit you know what i mean like uh I don't know how to like, there's so many like things you could talk about with this. And I mean, there's probably so many facets of this besides you could relate this to besides CrossFit and jujitsu is I feel like, uh, I mean, you look at some of the people that we know that have made it to the games in, I mean, granted they probably had some kind of other athletic background, but make it to the highest level of CrossFit in two years of doing CrossFit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where meanwhile, I, and that's the other thing. Like, so I was like listening to an interview with uh, Lucas Parker, been to the games six times, been doing jujitsu, and I'm like, I've been doing jujitsu longer than you've been doing CrossFit, and you're at the highest level multiple times over. You know what I mean? Like, it's just interesting to me. The uh, and maybe uh, like that's a, a testament to CrossFit. You know what I mean? And the the uh, the complete training. You know what I mean? And like. And, or, or, you know, you say like, I'm going to go all over the place with this and it's just kind of like I'm having verbal diarrhea right now, but, um, 
like you know you, you talk kind of like there's some some negative things to the fact that you can go and take a two day course and become a level one instructor, but maybe that's a testament to the fact that how complete that level one course is is that people get good really fast. You know what I mean? Like I'm not sure what the but it's an interesting dynamic where I've doing doing jujitsu for ten years and I feel like that's a long time. You know that people get PhDs in that long. You know what I mean? And it's like, the, like I said, that, the arduous, long journey, whatever. And it, I feel like that's almost lost a little bit in CrossFit. But maybe there's a reason, and it's because of certain positive things in CrossFit. You know, like I don't know like what the answer is. I don't have any answers or, or an opinion. It's just something I've noticed lately. It's kind of crazy. I see it in that uh, like on a skill level, on a basic skill level. Like for CrossFit, you just need to learn how to press uh, like – like horizontal press, overhead press, and do pull-ups and squat, and that's like 80% of CrossFit right there. And then you can like get good at being able to make like, you know, like there's the end position of a squat and the starting position of a squat. And then if you can make like everything in between those starting and finishing positions really pretty, then you're like pretty much like, then it's just getting strong after a certain point. But in jujitsu, there are, there are like, millions of micro positions like you right. there's like the there's like yeah it's like sweeping a guard it's like okay that's that's like from a to b but then there's like a million little ways you can open up and perfect the transition from a to b and like there's so the the, the skill ceiling in crossfit is i feel like relatively low like it's 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 there's there's a high a, a, there's a very very high athletic level to crossfit and that's sort of what separates like the games from regionals and all of that but they like the skills like the skills necessary to be a, a top level crossfitter are not not that demanding in, in like the broadest sense like muscle ups okay that's like a very basic gymnastic skill like that's like getting up on the rings if you're a gymnast like that's getting up on the rings and like that's a major major milestone for crossfitters but for but like you know, if you squat, if you learn how to squat on day one from a good coach who does your on ramp, that's the same squat that you're going to be doing at the games, you right. know. And but right. in, in jujitsu, like the the skills that you learn as a white belt is going to be very different or like much more refined as a black belt. Right. Like, there's just so much there. Right. And that's why I like slacklining too, because there's there's like there's walk just like a lot of people when they walk on slack lines they'll just set it up at like hip height and they'll just walk on it and like that's that's what they see that's what like their brain sees like that's the only thing you can do on a slack line but if you put a slack line twelve feet in the air you can do some weird monkey shit hanging from it and then it, then you can master the skill of going from hanging like sort of a pull up bar to getting to like the top of a muscle up like supported by your arms and then transitioning to uh, squatting on it and then sitting on it and then standing on it there are like a million different transitions in between and that's what I like about the slack line is it's, it feels to me almost like uh, jujitsu with a line like you're like I'm rolling around with a line right. rather than rather than just like squatting or just pressing right right we talked about that like how Real, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of that in jujitsu as well. But one of the core, like for CrossFit, is like if you think about it, it's all just pushing and pulling. You know what I mean? And, and and if you figure out the transition from going from pushing to pulling quickly, you can probably master a lot of the techniques in CrossFit. But that translates over to jujitsu very well because a lot of that is going from a push to a pull or pushing and pulling at the same time is what creates transition. It's yeah. pretty interesting. My uh, my guy, my favorite guy that I like to always bring up, Julian Pinot. Mm-hmm. Said he he are you a fan of him. Big uh, fan. He he uh, he said he wrote something on the wall. It was just like push, pull, squat, hinge. And that's it. He's like he's like that's that's all you gotta know how to know to do. Right. Um. And it was just like 
yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like beyond you know, that, it's just you're dressing it up. That's yeah, all you're doing. Uh, doing it like different things. Is this is and this is like this goes back to our original conversation. Is 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 like breaking down all these human movements to just like the most simple things to do. That's kind of what Kyle Polly's book is about though too. And that freestyle mm-hmm. connection is a lot of that too. It's like yeah. just breaking those things down and like a lot of his progressions, like you're like, if you watch like his YouTube progressions, like they start as one thing and you're like, that doesn't look anything like that in exercise. And then five progressions later, you're doing the full on exercise beautifully. You know what I mean? It's, it's insane. But that's like, he just adds one little step to it every time. It's yeah. insane. Polishing. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like, um, I've been, have you heard of a uh, gymnastic bodies by uh, coach Summers? No. He's a, uh, he's like a, he's like a, like an Olympic, uh, like U.S. national coach, and he has his program out GMB, and it's 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 very much in line oh, with Carl. Cool. Oh, GMB Fitness. Okay, yeah, 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 love it. Absolutely love and it. And it's like it's just like being able to break down like the basic human positions like that. It's beautiful, and I've just started following his program just because I'm like on the road. I don't really have access to like a barbell and shit, so I might as well be doing gymnastic stuff. And those progressions are beautiful. Like they're just so simple, but you need to have like a very clear idea of like where you are, where you're, what like what skills you're layering on. And then, like, where do you want to go in a couple months? Like, it's very, it's like not easy, but it's so beautiful when you see it executed on a coach level like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, no, I mean, the GMP business has has some really, really cool stuff. Like, so, like I, I'll, I'll be on my Instagram and I'll, I'll see them. I was like, okay, a person doing some like weird hip stuff and like running around. I'm like, like ah, I want to get to the, I want to, I want to get to the, <laughs> to the meat and potatoes of this stuff. And like I've I've recommended multiple times this one video of like hip opening um, movements uh, by them and like to enormous success of I was like listen just just do this video like 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 I this is your homework for the night I want you to do this video at least three times this week and people will like they'll 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 get into a much better squat a much healthier squat and and it, it kind of like it. Side note to it, it's like one of those things where it's just like we as humans have forgotten to like to squat, mm-hmm. and it's like people come into the gym and like I'm I'm like no, just just squat. I mean this is this is a human human like function that we're supposed to all be able to do, and we've forgotten how to do it, especially Western societies. I feel like that's like the the advantage of the CrossFitter to jujitsu and the advantage of you know doing jujitsu, but definitely doing CrossFit because it's seen. I mean the whole. I feel like a lot of people are more comfortable doing CrossFit just because of lack of the physical contact and someone being in that personal space, but it's just being aware of the body again. And I mean, it's funny, like when you were coaching uh, on Friday night and I showed up and there was all those, <laughs> there was like a room full of people and half of them were like teenagers or whatever. But it was like, they're, what were you teaching? Was it um, clean and jerk or power clean? Power clean. Right. Was that the snatch? Was it snatch? Yeah. yeah, this is something we need to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was funny. It was like it was like flat back, flat back, and I saw everyone. They were like, mm, mm, and I'm like, your back is not flat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like whatever. It just had no, yeah, idea that their back wasn't flat. You know what I mean? And it's like, and and that's the beauty of cross. Like I think the beauty of CrossFit is like just making people aware of actually what their body is doing. You know what I mean? Forget about being able to you know, clean and jerk 300 pounds or snatch 250 or do a muscle up or whatever, but just realizing like, oh, this is the position I'm in right now. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't even like, they're like, yeah. One, one of my favorite tools in CrossFit 
is this, and I'm holding up my finger. Because <laughs> 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 I'll come by, and like, and and every once in a while, like, I'll just poke somebody, and it'll be like, be like, get that in, or or in 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 this group that I had the other day, um, I just I walked up to numerous uh, numerous people, and just it was a teens group. This is why we need to talk about this stuff. Is is I walked over and I put my finger on their back and I said, "You feel that? Move away from it." And all of a sudden they go into a flat back position. Right. And they're like, "Oh, right. That's a flat back." I was like, "Yeah, that's a flat back." Right. Like you were rounding your back, like like severely, severely. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and just like the, them, like getting them to understand and and appreciate their own like mechanics of their body is, is like huge and. Being just walking up to somebody and like just using that finger and just like kind of poke. I mean, it's not nothing, nothing weird, <laughs> <laughs> nothing weird. But it's like it's like pull your shoulders back and they're like they're like hunt and, and they're getting a shrug. I'm like, no, no, pull your shoulders back. No, get a shrug. I'm like, listen, and you put your fingers between their shoulder blades. I was like, try to pinch that. And they do. Right. And it's like, and they're like, aha. There it is. <laughs> That's and what I've been like, finding. It's like I when I was at Overproven, I was like sort of like the mobility guy. Yeah. And when I went down to Florida, I, I was still trying to be like the mobility guy, but the movement quality of the gym was so much different. And I was finding that like mobility is great, like the like soft tissue work and like like rollers and balls and shit like that. It's great, but if your movement quality isn't there, if you if you don't have the proprioception, if you don't know what your body's doing in space doesn't fucking matter if you have great tissue health like it just like it's you need to be able to like like learn how to squat and engage and do all of that shit and if you don't have that on down then i can roll i can teach you how to roll and unglue your your glutes all day and it won't do shit for your squat yeah absolutely i I think the other thing that is awesome about crossfit and that was evident in that class is the um the uh the ability to show you what hard work actually is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, th- I think it was funny how many of those kids, like, and I, like, I think it's awesome they're there and I'm not like just stepping in the doors half the battle. But as soon as the run aspect of that wad started and they ran halfway there and was like, fuck this, I'm not running anymore. And like how many of them came back walking? You know what I mean? I was like, like you're just quitting. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. continue to just run, you know, even if you're not, <laughs> even if you're not running fast, you know what I mean? It's just that the ability to show that like, all right, I am perfectly capable of doing hard work. You know what I mean? I think that's the other amazing thing. And then once they figure out that they are capable of doing hard work, that they, you know, like that, 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 that it's, it's, it opens up the whole world. Yeah. And what was funny is the first, the first time that they, they uh, uh, they came in and they they did kind of like an intro session. I think it was uh, there was a bunch of members from the gym <laughs> from that, fucking built like superheroes. Yeah, <laughs> 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 like raging six packs and like big giant shoulders and um and 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 glutes that won't pass a barbell t- test to save their life. Just doing tire flips outside and they all tire fl- no they were doing sled pushes and tire flips. And they all came in just like heaving and like and and all swelled up, and like all the children were just like, or the teens they were just like, how do we become like that? Can we? <laughs> will we become like that by the end of the summer? And we're like, chances are no. <laughs> 
but it, 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 and this and this goes uh, the segues into something Derek and I talked about. Like after they had left, like I kind of was like, oh, God, it's over. <laughs> um, because it was, I mean, it was, uh, it was definitely a learning curve. I was not expecting that many of them. Um, the some of the adults who were with them, uh, they were very, very new to human movement as well, um, uh, or, or, or appropriate obsession. And um, on top of that, I had regular members, and they also showed up late. And <laughs> so, and it just so happened to be the day I'm supposed to teach the snatch, which is one of the hardest things to teach uh, to new people that also have no idea about how to move their body. Um, and this kind of like, this is kind of like this triangle where I've got these kids that may or may not, I mean, like they, they, they want to be there for the most part. They want to be there. I think I, like, they're, they're awesome. Like, no, they're, no, they were great. They were I mean, into it. Yeah, like, for they, sure. It was they awesome. They were into it. They were like, oh, show me this. Can I climb the ropes? Can I do this? But it was, <laughs> they were enthusiastic, to say the least. <laughs> so, but it was, it was almost over-enthusiastic because it was just like, squirrel! Um, <laughs> so trying to teach them all. Which, I, I mean, I, 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 I went back to uh, like my, my, uh, the way I always train people is every once in a while I'll throw in a joke and just say it really loud. And like talking about something, and all of a sudden they're just like engaged, um, and they're laughing about it. But so I had this experience with uh, with the teens group. Uh, they wanted me. They were excited. They're and they're they're a little bit spastic because they were kind of all over the place, not quite listening. And then used to have the rowing uh, teens um, who were like they were. They're committed. Mm -hmm. They're very, very committed. They came, in, they came in and they were just ready to work um, instead of just kind of like looking at everything and being. And then Derek had an experience with some teens that didn't really want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so we all had these three experiences. And it's like one of those things where I'm really interested. It's like, how do you nail down that group of people to like, get them engaged, get them focused, and get them working the way you need them to work. Mm. I mean, these are not people that we're talking, that are, I mean, well, you dealt with athletes. Um, and the teens that I had, like some of them were more athletic than others. Some some were, um, or, or weren't. And then Derek experienced non-athleticism. Uh, to be fair, I mean, I think like, so I think there's a, um, there's a challenge with teaching, especially that age group anyway, because like, like <laughs> I think like we talk about like the whole going through puberty thing and like the whole like raging hormones when you're a teenage boy, you know what I mean? That just fuck with everything, you know what I mean? <laughs> Between your physical and your mental, like everything, like you're just all out of fucking whack, you know what I mean? Like I think we, we talk about that all day about all the different spectrums, whatever that, and the kids that I definitely had an experience with, like, I think a lot of those kids were actually probably pretty athletic, you know what I mean? And they probably could have, but it was a matter of um, people just not being aware of what they're like. I'm trying to say this without being super specific, you know what I mean? Because I don't, yeah. don't want to respect the people, all, everybody involved still. Mm -hmm. um, but just kind of being 
blissfully unaware of the severe because I had to, it was it was a teaching jujitsu thing you know what I mean like it was like like that's what I was there to do and people just being blissfully unaware of how in depth and how serious jujitsu actually is you know what I mean like I feel like people don't like if you don't know about jujitsu and I think that's a big thing about a lot of people coming into jujitsu is you don't really, you, there's a lot of responsibility in just learning jujitsu. You know what I mean? Cause you're, you're, you're in charge of someone else's safety. I mean, it's almost like, I mean, talked about this people. It's, it's almost like giving someone a superpower. You know what I mean? <laughs> at, at blue belt, you're learning a lot of, like if you get a blue belt, you're, I mean, you're going to probably beat most people in a fight. You know, you're very aware of your body. You've become athletic to some point. You know what I mean? There are so many advantages of getting to that level in jujitsu, you know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's, you get you get so many tools and advantages towards life. The way you think is different, and like that. And I think that the the people that asked me to come and do that just had no idea. You know what I mean? And it was like, you know, these kids, this this you, you've given me a, a, an environment that isn't conducive to learning jujitsu. The timing isn't great. And none of these kids knew that that's what they were going to be doing today. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was like, it was just a, a shit storm of things that weren't going right in my favor or quite frankly theirs. You know what I mean? Like I was trying yeah. to teach them just and I'm like, you know what? If the shoe, if it was reversed right now, I'd be feeling the exact same way you do, you do, you are. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, I had, I had to take that into account. You know what I mean? So I feel like that situation and I'm, I really can't compare the situation I had. I mean, I've coached kids before. Yeah, and you've and you've had you you have and have have had and have uh, teens that have come up um, and and become really really good jujitsu players. Yeah, too, I mean right? I, I mean I think it's set and setting. I mean I think that's like one of the the awesome things about Ever Proven and having these kids come in and, and teaching a class. That's you know, I think it was awesome that those kids were mixed in with the adults like that. Like the just the fact that that is able to happen is an amazing thing. Because yeah. there's a lot of situations where that would go horribly wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the fact that at Ever Proven, the, the set and setting, the environment there is awesome. We talk about it all the time. Like I, Sometimes I go to Ever Proven and I do a little workout and then I'm tired or whatever. And before I know it, after my workout, I've sat there for two hours just hanging out. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm like, where the fuck did the time go? But it's because it's such an awesome place to go and hang out. The environment's awesome. You know, it, it's we talk about this a lot about just kind of the negative things that are going on in the world you kind of like you can go to ever proven and I, i've tried to do this with the academy too and I'm hopefully i was successful is it's it's almost so positive it's cheesy you know what i mean like you're like like you get this weird like i don't know it's weird you know what i mean and i think that that's like that was awesome it even though those kids were a little you know they're they were kids you know what i mean it still went it went awesome you know yeah. what i mean for everything that didn't go exactly as you wanted it to it still went great and yeah. I, you could tell that even though those kids didn't know how to snatch weren't that aware of their body weren't really interested in working that hard at that time <laughs> still had a ton of fun and got a lot out of it yeah. you know what i mean like and I, I think that and that's like one thing that i see it ever proven all the time is like someone like they come in and they're all timid and whatever and like you start that like especially if it's an intro or an on-ramp and by the end of it 12 people come up to him and said, Hey, how's it going? And everyone's laughing and having a good time. And the coach is like really enthusiastic. Like that's, that's an amazing thing about that gym. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and that, and that, I mean, like I'm thinking of one person in particular, I won't name him just to, 
but like used to see him come in and be just very very timid and like hide in the corners and like every time he would touch the barbell he'd like reach down touch the barbell and look around and see if anybody was watching him <laughs> right. he's like, he's like oh, i really don't find anybody fucking watching right now right. and all of a sudden he's like uh he's entering himself in like online competitions and he's working his ass i've like i like watching this kid like he literally will try to keep up with robbie and (laughs) 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 very bold but very bold move (laughs) um and and just a really really awesome and he's opened up and like i mean he has an online presence with us and like it's like going from like this kid that's just like completely in this little shell and doing and blossoming into something else. So cool. So cool to watch that stuff. And like every, like there's so many people that have come in that have come in and just like blossomed into a different person. Um, and, and really like become something, become better at being themselves through the course of like, I mean, and this has happened across, it's not just ever proven. It's happened across, uh, everywhere in gyms. And I think that's just like part of that community feeling that you get when you walk in there. Yeah, and um, that community that for for the kids that I coached. So I coached uh, Great Bay Rowing Club, uh, and it was like the same. And it was a very different environment than the environments that you fellas had. Uh, in that I had the same fifty kids for an entire season, mm-hmm. and so I was able. So like day one, I wandered in there, and I was given basically complete control over like programming for drylands and their and their water workouts. And it was it was something that I so coming from a from a background of like I didn't have the best coaches growing up like I did not I never had a coach that I was like inspired by, and part of that was that none of them respected that the culture that you need to create in in a gym or in an organization or a group like that especially when you got like fifty teenagers running around raging with hormones if you don't create if you don't intentionally create a culture there then things will go haywire really fast then you'll get dudes like doing stupid shit and you'll get girls being really catty like all the all the like the, the worst of the hormones expressing themselves if you don't create an, an environment for them um, where where like they understand like what are their roles and things like that so when I like when I went into the ever when I went into ever proven with my teens they brought that culture with them and so they were ready they understood like what I expected of them and I expected the same things that I expect from adults and they 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 love I think that they love that a lot that I never talked down to them and I always expected a lot from them and I I tried to project the same like you know it's like if you're coaching if you're coaching a CrossFit or if you're if you're rolling you you want to be as good as you want them to be so like you can't be coming in with a janky snatch or a janky squat because if you're trying to t- t- show somebody so sh- show somebody and you're all jacked up then it's like what are you what are you doing here so like so that those like that for rowing but on a, on a broader level, it was also like, how do I present myself? How do I talk to people when they come to me with an issue? And like, because they, they got all 50 of them have two eyes and the all hundred eyes are on me and they 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 pick up on everything. And, and so like having, being able to create a culture within a, within a community, within a, within a team of like, this is how we learn things as a group. So I'll teach one kid one thing and I will expect him or her to teach five other kids the same skill, the same way with the same proficiency. And then those five kids teach another five so that I only need to teach one person. And then the team learns as a, as like an, as a weird, like organism, like that, those kinds of like responsibility teaching. And that I think is what brought what like you know you notice it like they were on point like every once in a while i had to like wrangle them but yeah <laughs> but it was appropriately so 
No, I mean it was great just watching them come in and they just like and they work and then they and they leave. And it's <laughs> just like well-oiled system. Mm-hmm. Um, you gonna say something? I feel like that. That's like one of the things I find about coaching in general is like a um, the way that you. Uh, I mean, I don't. I mean, but being honest, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, and and and. Like, so he's talking about like having a janky snatch or janky clean and jerk, or whatever. If someone comes to me and is like, you know, what do you think about this technique? I, like, I'm not going to give anybody some bullshit answer. Be like, oh, like, don't do it like that because of this, whatever. I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. Let's research it. You know what I mean? Like, and I feel like people really appreciate that. So like even dealing with kids, like every kid that I've ever dealt with, like if they have a question you don't know, doesn't just because you're the adult doesn't give you the right to bullshit them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if as long as you're honest with the way and like if they're acting a certain way and it's not conducive, if you're completely honest as to why that's not instead of just giving them that authoritative answer or whatever, it really seems to go a long way. Yeah. I feel like, you know, because I mean? it treats them as like a contributing member. Like right. I need to learn this shit too. Like let right. me, let's learn this together. Right. And like, it, that's how you avoid issues where people just turn off and they just receive information. Right. Like they just, they're just like, Oh, okay, that's, that's right. That's wrong. And now they just go forward rather than having them be like an inquisitive, like active member of, right. of the organization. You talk with them, not at them. Exactly. Type deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like makes me think of a line that I've been, I guess I've been like saying it a lot lately, which is, which is like uh, not the way, but a way. Mm -hmm. And it's it's like, and when, when they have those questions and it's, it was like, not just saying like, no, you're wrong. Uh, it just like engaging a little bit more. I mean, like, like you said, like, I was like, let's research it. Right. Well, I also think like, like, so one of the things that I know went a long way, and you may not have noticed it or, or even thought about it, but the fact that though all those kids wanted to do during that workout was not snatch and climb that rope, <laughs> <laughs> but then you stayed afterwards and let them climb that rope. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like they were, you we were just like, no, snatch, whatever. You're like, let's do this workout. And then we'll climb that goddamn rope. You know what I mean? And then like all those kids sit out there and climb the rope. You know what I mean? And I know that went a long way with those kids. You know what I mean? Like that's like just doing the little extra above and beyond to kind of like, you know, appease somebody. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it, you know what I mean? Like it was like one thing. I don't know. It's weird. But like, yeah, I just treat them like an adult. You know what I mean? I think that that's like lost on a lot of people. I know that when I was a kid, kind of like, that was one thing that, like, if someone would have treated me like an adult and an equal, it went a real long way. And rather than be like, no, I'm the boss here, you do as I say, and that's the end of the story. You know what I mean? That was, like, the worst. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, that's something that's been really interesting to me is, like, the idea of a rite of passage. Um, whether it's, like, you know, like, there's the Maasai, uh, the, the Maasai in, in Africa where they would, like, each dude would go out and hunt and kill a lion. Like, and then right. so when you're sitting in a circle preparing for your rite of passage, you're sitting in a circle with all these hard motherfuckers that have all killed the lion. Right. And that says a lot. And it's great for that, for that young boy to make the transition into adulthood where it's like, okay, I'm now a man. But at the same time, it's also really, really important for the culture at large to recognize that this young man has gone through this rite of passage and now we can treat him like an adult. Like right. now this is adult time. Like if, if grandma's sick, you get to talk, you get to have a contributing voice to the discussion of how do we take care of grandma? Like those kinds of things. And like it's totally lost. Like I a lot of the weird shit that I went through, like that I've done as as a young man was trying to find my own rite of passage. But unfortunately, culture at large never 
recognize the fact that now I'm a, now I'm a man. Like now I, I see myself as a man. Now why don't you as as a culture? And they still treat you as like a young person. Like that's like. I'll take care of you. Let me just tell you where you got to go. And now you got to check in on your cell phone with me every once in a while. So I know where you are like that kind of thing. There's no, there's not that clear delineation of now you are a member of the tribe. Yeah. Do you think that you personally got that? Like now I'm a man when you entered the Marine Corps that, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it's such a simple, like I went through boot camp. Like that was just like a simple, like boom. And it made sense for a lot of people. And it was unfortunate that it had to be like that. I had to go externally rather than into within the culture as like a, like there's no lion hunting, like, like tradition within like New Hampshire, unfortunately, (laughs) but it's easy to recognize the, the, like the military or maybe getting a black belt or, you know what I mean? Or like going to regionals for CrossFit. It's like one of those, like, it's unfortunate that we have to, that we have to find these random things that can't, that there's not like a single culturally like accepted rite of passage. Uh, Do you, would you how about that what are your feelings on something like uh uh speaking of the subject what are you what are your feelings on something like the israelis where they are required to serve in the military for i think it was it's like two or three years Mm -hmm. um like what are your feelings on like doing that in america it's like requiring some sort of service and it doesn't even have to be military, but you do have to go through this transition period where it's just like you go from being a high school kid to all of a sudden you are this. And it's like there's like a hard definitive mm-hmm. line between those two. And you're a different person <laughs> on the other side. Mm-hmm. Like you just have to cross this line. And and like I mean like creating something like that in American society where we – like you said, it's like it's like there there's there's nothing we don't have that like mm-hmm. like uh, like Sebastian Younger talked yeah. about. It's tough because when you when you talk about that, it's 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 you're substituting a an organic ground up sort of rite of passage for a top down determined rite of passage. Like yeah, it'd be really great if we had two years of service, whether it's joining the Peace Corps or the military, or you'd like build houses for the homeless, like that kind of thing. That's awesome, but it's still top down. Like it's 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 like instead of like, okay, as an organization, as a community, we want to spend all this money on roads versus like, okay, the tax man's coming in and collecting money for roads and taxes. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of like one is more organic and top down and the other one's like bottom up. And it's, it's like, yeah, it'd be really great to have the two years of service, but it would also be really great if we could just like have it's it's like one thing for the young person going through it yes but it's also the other side of the coin which is more difficult is that is the the community at large recognizing the fact that these children went through these this ordeal and have come out as a different person and that i think is almost harder because you probably see it in like parents like the the, the like the the weird controlly bit that they have now that they have cell phones i see it all the time for my crew kids, They'll, their parents check in on them all the fucking time. Like they never let them just be alone. And it's like this weird, like fear control thing that each parent has. And I understand why they love them. They don't want their kid to get abducted by some strange man in a van. But at the same time, you got to let, you got to recognize that at a certain point, your child is no longer your child. Your child is a member of the tribe. And it's, it's like that, that shift is, is it can be facilitated by something like that, those two years, but it's, it's, 
it's really hard and it's something more, it's, it's more like trying to train the adults more than you're trying to train the children, I think, at this point. Because like, uh, we had a whole generation that was raised without a rite, rite of passage and we were such a mixing pot, mi like melting pot of cultures that, you know, it's not just like East Germans now, it's like East Germans and a bunch of black people and a bunch of Asian people. It's like all these different cultures coming together and it's trying to find a, like one defined thing is so tough. I just had this conversation with some, so I talk about this a lot is like, I, I feel very fortunate that I've met, especially males. I've met this weird mix of older and, and, and just not even so much older, but just men in jujitsu from a lot of different walks of life. And, um, I was just talking to this guy who's he's a little bit older than I am. He's in his late thirties, early forties, and um, we were talking about like just life in general and just having this conversation. And I'm gonna preface this with saying that like I'm really happy with my life. Like I have no complaints. My life is awesome, whatever. But like we're talking about, I was like I feel like I woke up one day and I was married and had a house. Like it just like happened. Like I was like, and I and that's something that people had said to me my whole life was like one day you're gonna wake up and not realize where the time went and things like that and that, I, that's kind of happening to me right now like i'm like i don't even know how this happened like it just happened whatever and this guy was like i'll tell you not right now that happens to everybody and it happens your whole life there's like like we have this one guy been the al who's been on this podcast really successful guy you know by all rights the most successful guy i know and he was like and he he said he's like Happens to me all the time. He's like, you know what I mean? like, like I'm fifty. I'm fifty nine years old. You know, have a beautiful house, kids, grandkids. You know, like successful in business. You know, all that stuff. And he's like, just happened. He's like, I don't know how it happened. It just happens. And I think that's a conversation that, because of the mixing pot of culture and because of the age of information and technology and all things like that conversation, like doesn't happen to a lot of people you know what i mean and for whatever reason maybe you have more distractions and i'm like i'm sure my dad had that conversation with me but because i was so busy <laughs> with aol instant messenger when i was a kid and you know like and all that stuff that like it just i was like yeah yeah whatever you know what i mean like i feel like that whole like you can't force someone to have a rite of passage you know what i mean like i'm a black belt in jujitsu i'm i mean i've been in fights you know what i mean on the street and in a gym, you know, like held my own, learned how to be tough. You know, I was definitely like, I was a bitch before jujitsu. You know what I mean? Like I honestly, like I thought I was a tough guy, you know, and I wasn't, you know, like, and I had to learn how to be tough. It made me tough. You know what I mean? And like the, my dad is probably one of the toughest guys I know. And it still didn't matter. I was not a tough guy for whatever reason. You know what I mean? And jujitsu made me tough and I got a black belt and you know, I know I can take a beating and hold my own and that talk about all the advantages of jujitsu, but traveling, totally gave me a whole new perspective you know what i mean and it, i feel like tr like i went from thinking that i had a rite of passage of and it, maybe it was one aspect of doing jujitsu and learning how to fight and hold my own and 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 becoming you know a quote-unquote warrior or martial artist or you know getting comfortable with combat or whatever you want to talk about however you want to put it and then like thinking that was my rite of passage and then starting to travel and be like, maybe this is my rite of passage. You know, it was, it's weird. Like, I don't think like to go along with that whole, like mandatory military, like that might not be a rite of passage for some people. You know what I mean? Like I, that's one thing that like 
talk about the whole psychedelic thing and kind of double back to that. I know a ton of people who did psychedelics in high school who are still douchebags. You know what I mean? Like it didn't change them at all. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you, and I think that that's one thing that's lost on a lot of people is you can't, you'll never know what that thing is. So you better just try a bunch of shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I mean, I think that's kind of like the whole, like the whole thing with Eugene is like, just tried a bunch of shit and some stuff stuck and some stuff didn't and some stuff made a difference and some stuff didn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's mm-hmm. like that old so- saying, like throw shit up against the wall and see what sticks. Right. And, mm-hmm. and like, and I, I think people are just afraid to do that. You know what I mean? Like it, like and t- failure, you know what I mean? Like you got to be okay with not having it not work out. Yeah. Fail, fail. And fucking fail again. Fucking fail again. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I mean, I think that's that like in itself is like what we like kind of create this podcast about is just like, is like researching and getting out there and like getting to understand like more things mm-hmm. um, and, and trying different things. And like that, and that's, that's something that I created my podcast for is it was like, I use four prompts to drive the whole conversation. I am before I die. I want when I die, I want. And after I die, I want, and it's sort of like a natural progression. So like I am, and before I die, they're sort of like living, like things that you want to do when you're alive, like before that point of death. And then when you start talking about when I die, that's when the conversation really starts to make a shift. Like that's when people start to open up really. You know, it's like after 30, 45 minutes into the conversation, that's when we can start talking about the the death that has most affected you. How do you want to pass? How do you want to see, like what do you want? Do you want your family around? Do you want to be alone? Like those kinds of like really personal things that you can't really get to in like the first three minutes of a conversation. And then after you die, it's like, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want after that point? And it's a very natural progression. And it's a really weird thing because I feel like I learn a lot about the people, but then they like after the after each podcast, people be like, that was really cool. And it's, it's like a very gentle progression. And it's almost like a rite of passage because these are conversations that people don't have about death. Like, the, the reason, the 100%, the reason why I wanted to make this podcast was I wanted to be able to provide an intimate look in death like a like a deep look with a random person every week and have that conversation be brought to the world at large like cuz there like you know there are teenagers that listen to this podcast and they've ne- like they, I I don't I actually don't even know if I've had a conversation with my family about death like in a deep context you know and it's like these are conversations that need to happen and if you don't talk about death like the end point of this whole wacky existence that we all have then it's like what are you doing you're just trying to delay the inevitable and it's a, like it's yeah it's one of those wacky things I do <laughs> <laughs> she say viking yeah yeah wacky oh wacky wa- viking. Wacky. wacky viking things oh wacky viking things <laughs> May or may not be obsessed with Vikings lately. Just watching the show a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, that brought up the, brings up the subject of your podcast, and like, and I mean that that that's awesome. Uh, I mean, like, how many people are like instantly like they like know the answer, or they have to explore a little bit to get to the answer? It's interesting. So there, there's like. I, I try to vet the people that I interview because it's like, are they a an interesting person with a lot of life experiences that they can bring to the podcast? And B, are they somebody that are, is articulate enough to be able to express it to the audience? And then they're like within that that like if you get through those two hurdles, then it's like there are people there are people that have written out all of their responses and like read them off, and then we go through and kind of dive deep through them. And then there are also people that just like go fly the seat, just like. Ah! 
I'm a, I'm a writer. You know, those kind of like random things. And they'll just think of it and then we'll dive deep into it. But it's like, it's very interesting. Once you get past those two like initial like screening steps, it's still like there's so much variety. That's, That's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I think like fucking death is like one of the fucking death scares the shit out of me. You know what I mean? But I like, and it's one of those things I've realized recently. You know what I mean? Like it's, and it's one of the like, avoid the conversation so much your whole life and then one day you're like like you did, i don't know for me it was just like i'm fucking petrified of death you know what i mean but for no reason you know what i mean like it's, it's just, it's just an uninvestigated shit. fear right like there's no right. because you have to do it almost entirely on your own like right. you just re- wrestle and grapple with it all on your own and you're like oh god i'm thinking about death i gotta gotta change my brain subject gotta like uh, gotta right. like circle on my phone and shit right. but rather than like being able to like just head on investigate this whole conversation right. Right. and that's what i that's what i think is so interesting is it resonates with a lot of people for that reason, like it's just it's something that is universal. It's a universal fear. Everybody, everybody fear. I still fear death. Like it's a crazy. Th- it's weird. And like right. you know, I might be okay with it today, but then tomorrow I get closer with my partner, and then I I'm afraid of death because I either will death will either make it so that I leave her alone in the world, or she she is left, or or, I, or she leaves me alone in the world. And that's a crazy fear that I have. And it's that's something that it's a fear that I wouldn't have had a year ago because I hadn't met my partner yet. Like it's those kinds of, it is such like a constant, no matter where you are in life, death will always give you a little bit, like little like poke up the butt of fear. Right. It's, it's like ever evolving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Make your tight cheek a little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. No, I mean, like the whole subject, like it, it definitely, like I definitely have my my own thoughts about it, but um, no, that's that's a very very interesting, like I mean, just way to approach things on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Not many people doing that, and that's that's that was kind of why. Like I love this format. I love like this is a necessary format. It's so much fun. It's really chill, really good bro sesh. But there's also I think a really good aspect of of being able to almost create like a rite of passage for a podcast where it's like you go through a journey with with each person with each guest um each week you go through a different journey like their own rite of passage because everybody nobody comes into the conversation with all of the ideas fleshed out and fully investigated like everybody will i'll I'll, every i try to always make sure like at least once or twice an interview i give them a poke where it's like they, they they really have to grapple on air with an idea and that's those are the moments that I really want to bring out in the podcast. It's like, yeah, it's really cool to talk about your history, but that moment where I ask you a very pointed question and you cannot wiggle away from it, yeah. like, like, what does it mean to be a generous person? Like that, like, like I know you like that verb, or you know, like you like that adjective, but really, what does it mean to be a generous person, or what does it mean to want to leave a legacy for your children? Like, sure, it sounds nice, but let's like really dive into it. And it's like, oh. Fuck! I didn't expect him to talk about this. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. Uh, so how how did how does one actually get to listen to you? Oh, so you can listen to this podcast on iTunes uh, or your fa- favorite podcasting app, such as uh, Pocket Cast or, or Stitcher or whatever. It, just look up on Death. There are a couple other podcasts with Death in the title, but this is the only one that's on Death. On Death. Your yeah. website. Yes, uh, mnmwad.com or uh, redwingsuperior.com. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, uh, I, for one, thank you so much for uh, com- coming on and talking with us and sitting down with us. It's been awesome, awesome conversations. Yeah. yeah absolutely. My pleasure, fellas. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for dropping by. And thank you for listening to Sharp Iron Society. See you next time.